It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter, at PlayLikeAJet1. And it is Wednesday, which means it's time for Midweek with Manish, Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. Hey, Manish, two in a row. How about that? I know. It's been uh, over a year since we could say, <laughs> we could say that. Uh, I think the most encouraging thing was uh, not only that they won, uh, obviously uh, it would have been... Uh, maybe not as bad as the Miami loss, but uh, certainly extremely discouraging if they didn't win. Uh, but the fact that they won in the fashion that they did was particularly impressive uh, to me. You know, it was a, a terrible team that they needed to trounce, and uh, that's exactly what they did. So they, de- they deserve a lot of credit. You know, Adam Gase, Greg Williams, Sam Darnold, Jamal Adams, all of those guys, you know, outside of a, a little lapse in the fourth quarter from the defense. I thought it was a dominating performance on both sides of the ball. It reminds me of the scene in Major League Two when the manager, Lou Brown, is addressing the locker room and he says, hey, we won today. If we win another one tomorrow, that'll be two in a row. If we win one after that, that's called a winning streak. It has happened before. (laughs) Yeah, they haven't won three in a row since uh, 2017. So, uh, you know, baby steps, uh, I guess. Uh, But the Raiders are a good a barometer, you know, it's funny or ironic, I guess you should, uh, I should say, because the Raiders were actually believed to be worse than the Jets before the season began. So they were the train wreck team and the team that uh, might be vying for the number one or two spot. But you got to give John Gruden a lot of credit. They've won three in a row. Uh, they're, you know, they're not dominant by any stretch of the imagination. They've gotten blown out against decent teams, uh, but they are six and four. So they're a team with a winning record. Uh, perhaps playing better than what their record suggests, but uh, they're clearly a step above what the Jets have seen the last couple weeks with the Giants and the Redskins. So, uh, you know, you can only play, as they say, who's on your schedule. So I don't think the Jets need to apologize for who they're playing. But this is a, a solid test, you know, not a, not a great team by any stretch, but clearly a team that's a, a cut above what they've seen the past couple weeks. Manish, let's talk about the story that everybody's talking about as it pertains to the Jets right now. This is something that you mentioned in passing last week, but this week it's gotten a lot of attention. Apparently after the Jacksonville game, there was some sort of meeting between Sam Darnold and Adam Gase. Adam Gase and Sam Darnold had a heart-to-heart. Darnold told Gase what he liked and what he didn't like from the playbook. And then from there, we saw that there was a big change in what Sam Darnold's been doing. He's been a lot better the last two weeks, first against the Giants, and then this past week against the Washington Redskins. What do you know about this? How did it unfold? And exactly what was the meeting of the minds between Gase and Darnold? Well, Darnold approached Gase after the Jacksonville game. Uh, Gase has said this. 
uh, about a week or so ago. Uh, he's the one who actually, uh, without provocation, I believe, uh, told everyone about this meeting that occurred uh, after the Jacksonville game. Uh, not one of Sam's better performances. Uh, I think he had three picks in that game. Uh, and at that point, you know, you know Darnold uh, told him and, and told everyone else since then that uh, you know, he felt confident enough in the offense, even though he was struggling, he felt confident enough in his grasp of the offense to approach the head coach to say, hey, look, you know, these are things that uh, I think I, I do well at. These are things I think are slowing me down. And if you just look at the last three games, because they did lose the following game against Miami, so it's not as if things have been perfect since that uh, discussion between the head coach and the quarterback. But uh, you've seen him more on the run. You've seen a lot of, or relatively speaking, a lot of design bootlegs. You know, getting him out, moving the pocket by design, those are things that we saw last year that Darnold excelled at. And uh, those are things, frankly, that I was a little bit surprised weren't uh, utilized more often in the first few games this year with Darnold. So, uh, you know, I don't want to say they're common sense things, but uh, those are clearly things that you should, if you'd followed Darnold, uh, not only as a rookie, but in college, you would know, hey, you know, these are things that he's really good at. And uh, I think it, it took the Sam to, to tell Gase, hey, look, you know, we've got a lot of you know, interesting wrinkles, interesting ideas, but uh, why don't we, you know, hone the playing book to my, uh, you know, to my strong suit. And it, it's a little odd, to be perfectly honest with you, Scott, because these are things that I believe that should have been discussed in the summertime, even back in the spring, uh, when Adam Gates first got the job. You know, you go through your evaluation as a new head coach, as Gates did, you know, watching Darnold take every snap as, as a rookie, and you kind of figure out, you know, what is this guy doing well on tape and, and what are things that he's struggling at? And you absolutely want to help him improve in his you know, weak areas. But uh, in the meantime, you really want to tailor your offense to what he does well. And I thought for all the good ideas that Gase has, uh, I've been consistent in my belief that he has good ideas. There are other elements of his head coaching slash leadership style that I think warrant fair criticism. However, the ideas in his head are good. Uh, I just think that he fell into a trap, he meaning Gase, fell into a trap where he was calling plays for 22-year-old Sam Darnold when he really uh, – uh, calling plays, I should say, for a 37-year-old Peyton Manning when he should have been calling plays for a 22-year-old Sam Darnold who's clearly at the early stages of his development. And it took the, you know, the young player, the second-year player, to take a proactive approach. Uh, you know, I disagree with that fundamentally only because I think that it's incumbent upon the leader, the coach – to go to a struggling player and say, hey, look, this is clearly not working. Let's discuss what can work moving forward. Uh, so you know, I have issues with how Gase uh, kind of took a passive approach on this. Uh, I do commend Sam Darnold for being aggressive and being proactive and saying, hey, look, something needs to change because obviously something did need to change. So uh, you do give Gase credit for, for at least at that point saying, hey, you know what, let me tailor some of the things that I like to do uh, to best fit the quarterback skill set. And that's what you've seen over these last few weeks, even though they didn't win in Miami. Darnold uh, you know, played reasonably well in that game. And uh, you're clearly seeing that these past couple weeks where you know Sam looks really comfortable. Uh, he has a, a really good handle of what makes sense for him on a given play. And you're really seeing his teammates as well kind of understand him better. So, uh, yes, the opponents the last couple weeks have been terrible. 
uh, the Redskins and the the Bengals, by every objective measure, are the two worst teams in the NFL, and they've got the Bengals coming up in a couple weeks. But uh, you know, from my, from my vantage point, none of that stuff matters when you're talking about Darnold because you want him to build confidence, you want him to play well, regardless of the opponent, because that's ultimately going to serve him better moving forward, and perhaps most importantly, it's going to serve the team better. Fair to say that the true offensive genius on this team wasn't the head coach, it was the 22-year-old quarterback? <laughs> well, I have been of the belief, and Scott, you've, you've talked to me enough to, to know this, I've been of the belief for a long time, uh, over a year, maybe a year and a half, or maybe even dating back, honestly, to his first training camp, I've been of the belief that Sam Darnold is destined for, for great things in this league, no matter who the coach is. And you saw him play great with Jeremy Bates toward the end of last year. And I think that would have continued uh, if Bates were the, the offensive coordinator this year or if another uh, head coach was hired other than Adam Gase. Uh, where the coach comes into play is how much better will he take Sam Darnold? Because I think the baseline for Sam Darnold, and I've said this before, is somewhere in the Tony Romo, Philip Rivers range. Uh, he could be someone like Matt Ryan, uh, he could, if things go exceptionally well, uh, could be like Aaron Rodgers. I, I don't know, but I know that when I'm talking about the baseline of what his career will be, barring injury, of course, I think it's somewhere in that Philip Rivers, Tony Romo uh, area. So the question becomes, can Adam Gase or another coach, uh, you know, at some point in the future, take him to a higher level than that? Because he has the skill set, he has the the mental makeup and the constitution to be that caliber of player at the very least. You know, his best teacher isn't necessarily a person. I think it's time, and I think it's experience. I think when those two things start to rack up, well, the more games he gets, the more reps he gets, the more things he sees, the more mistakes that he makes early in his career, the better off it will serve him because he is not a guy who I think is going to kind of tail off or, or level off, uh, at, you know, where he is right now. Because statistically, you know, he's obviously not a great player statistically at this point. But you've seen enough great things in moments uh, in his first 20-some-odd games as a starter to, to believe, I think, that he can be a difference maker for a very long time. So I've been of the belief from the jump that he's got the skill set to make a lot of people look very smart, whether that's players, coaches, management. Uh, he's a guy who's going to cover up for a lot of mistakes and uh, ultimately be the driving engine uh, for a con consistent winner, in my estimation. So you think it's fair to say that even if we were to say that Adam Gase were a mediocre coach, that Sam Darnold's talent should be able to overcome mediocre coaching? I think ultimately, because ultimately, you know, when he gets more experience, he's going to be a better player and he'll be a de facto coach on the field, just like you see from all great quarterbacks. From all very good quarterbacks, like a Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers is not a Hall of Famer. In my estimation, he's a, a borderline player. But he can help out uh, you know, a mediocre, an average, very good type of play caller. Uh, and just look, uh, you, you see examples of that time and time again. But he is not at that point, Darnold, right now. He's still a young player. So I think you know, from time to time he can mask deficiencies and he can make plays to cover up mistakes. Uh, earlier in the week, actually, Adam Gay said that you know, sometimes the play calling is is really irrelevant because Darnold seems to make things happen on his own, and the players around him have a better understanding of uh, when that happens, how to react and adjust. And I'm not saying the play calling doesn't matter because that's not fair. It clearly does matter, but I think that uh, the more experience 
and the more time Darnold has to see different things in this league, uh, the more he'll be able to uh, take the burden off of whoever his play caller is in his career. I'm going to have to disagree with you about Philip Rivers. I think he is going in the Hall of Fame, but that's a whole other discussion for another time, Anish. Right now, let's talk about what's going on with the Jets and the other big news, which is that Ryan Khalil has been placed on IR. I don't think this is a big deal from a playing standpoint at this point because Jonathan Harrison seemed to have taken that job away from him regardless, but it is an interesting development and it puts a capper on what was a very disappointing experiment here As you and I have both said, I totally understand Joe Douglas doing this because Khalil was available and all it cost him was one year of money that he had in the bank anyway, but it just didn't work out, unfortunately. No, it didn't. And uh, uh, look, like you, I did not have any issue with Joe Douglas signing Ryan Khalil. I actually thought it was a a potentially sneaky, smart move because of his pedigree, because of... uh, the Jets' desire to upgrade at center. And in a vacuum, it made a lot of sense. However, in practice, you know, for all practical purposes, it did not make the offensive line better. It actually made them worse because Jonathan Harrison had developed a chemistry uh, with the guys around him. He had been playing at a level that uh, ultimately turned out to be at a higher level than a former Pro Bowl player in Ryan Khalil. So uh, the chemistry was disrupted. Uh, the Jets took a step back when Khalil was in the lineup, uh, hard to foresee that uh, in my mind. Some people might say, well, you're crazy, Manish. I could see it because the guy was retired and checked out, and typically when players retire, uh, you know, mentally they stay retired, even if they uh, physically come back and try to give it another go. Uh, he was not the same player that, that we were accustomed to seeing over the last decade in Carolina. That was obvious. Uh, he clearly did not get in sync with the guys around him. That also became abundantly clear. So the fact that uh, he's on injured reserve, to me, it's not any kind of excuse. It actually, it actually benefits the Jets in my mind to having Harrison in there because, in hindsight, uh, Harrison probably should have been the starting center from week one. He had been the starting center all off season. He had played uh, with those starters uh, toward the end of the previous season, and uh, I think Joe Douglas miscalculated that, just like I think a lot of people, uh, like myself miscalculated that. Ultimately, it cost the Jets uh, somewhere six and a half, seven million dollars. Uh, that's not that big of a deal. It's not my money, but just looking at it from a, you know, from a budget perspective and a salary cap perspective, you know, they had the money to burn, you know, for lack of a better phrase. So, yes, yeah, you know, giving, giving them six and a half, seven million bucks uh, was not a good decision in retrospect. However, uh, I think that uh, most, if not, uh, you know, all, all people, you know, who were fans of the Jets, uh, They'll care about the Jets, cover the Jets, thought that that was a potentially good move by the new general manager, but uh, you know, it obviously uh, didn't work out. Khalil is not the only offensive lineman who generated some news in the injury category. Two others, Chuma Adoga, who left the game on Sunday, and also Kelvin Beecham, who's been banged up. We heard that the two of them are banged up and we're not entirely sure of the status. What's going on with those guys, and are there any other injuries that we should be aware of at the moment? Yeah, you know, I'm a little concerned about Beecham. Uh, it sounded like Adam Gase was a little bit concerned about Kelvin Beecham as well, because remember he had that ankle injury, which was not, you know, your garden variety ankle injury. It may have been a high ankle sprain. It may have been something a little bit more severe. It, it cost him three games. Well, Kelvin Beecham is a tough player, so the fact that it cost him three games tells you that it wasn't your, your typical ankle injury. And and I remember him 
kind of getting banged up uh, in the game the other day, hobbled off a little bit, stayed in. You know, he's a, like I said, he's a tough guy. But, uh, you know, his status bears watching for sure uh, leading up to this Raiders game. Uh, Indoga sounds like it's a little bit more optimistic that he'll be back, uh, and they're probably going to need him if Beecham doesn't go because if you remember when Beecham was out for those three games, they moved Indoga to the left side. Uh, he had his fair share of struggles, but he was their quote-unquote next man up. And uh, and they had Brandon Shell on the right side. I will say, you know, Brandon Shell I thought played better than Indoga on the right side yesterday after after Chuma left because uh, you watched the game, Scott. Ryan Kerrigan was having Indoga for lunch, uh, mm-hmm. especially early in that game. So uh, it bears watching for sure if, if those edge guys are not completely right. Uh, it's been a, a revolving door along that offensive line. They they started their sixth uh, starting lineup. Uh, against uh, Washington the other day, that's never ideal. You know, to steal a phrase from Adam Gase, he uses that often. You know, that's not ideal or it's no fun. Uh, but uh, you know, I, all that being said, I actually thought the offensive line did some really good things and some solid things yesterday, or I'm sorry, on Sunday. Uh, in the running game, statistically, it won't show up because I, I believe as a team, they still had a low, uh, a relatively low yards per rush, uh, about three and a half yards, uh, maybe a little bit more if you take out the Sam Darnold uh, kneel downs at the end. But uh, you saw some flashes, uh, specifically when Blau Powell was in the game. He averaged six yards a carry. He had that one really nice drive where he had a 14-yarder, a 17-yarder. The offensive line did a really good good job opening holes for him. And from a pass protection standpoint, outside of those Kerrigan uh, sacks or in that first quarter, uh, the Jets did not allow another sack. They only gave up four quarterback hits, which is improvement from what we've seen, uh, as you know, uh, throughout the season. So they did t- some relatively good things. Uh, you know, the, the times when Darnold uh, extended the play, escaped the pocket, I think that was because guys weren't necessarily open and uh, Sam used his elusiveness to buy time uh, as opposed to kind of getting uh, you know, swallowed by a broken pocket early. So... I, I thought they did a you know a, a pretty good job in that respect, but uh, if Beecham and Indoga are going to both be out, uh, you know that puts uh, that puts Gase in a in a bind again. He may have to use a tight end to make up for that and use some more max protects. It would be nice if he had a blocking tight end that was capable of catching as well. But Wesco's a guy that hasn't had a lot of impact in the passing game. He has caught a couple of passes for first downs, though. I think the stat was that every time he's received the ball, it's been for a first down, but it's been very limited. The guy that has made the impact in the passing game, though, who is not much of a blocker, is Ryan Griffin. You wrote a nice piece about him over at the Daily News. He's been a pleasant surprise for the Jets this season. Yeah, he's... I mean, he certainly surprised me. He was assigned uh, maybe a, a few days before training camp began. If you guys uh, remember, he played, uh, I want to say, six seasons with the Texans. He had, uh, I believe it was a DUI uh, issue in the offseason. You know, he became available, and I think everybody thought that, you know, this would be a nice additional piece uh, for the first month while Chris Herndon was suspended, uh, you know, a veteran guy who could help out, uh but uh, he's certainly done a lot more than that in the last month. Uh, you know, he didn't do much from a pass-catching standpoint early, but he has really become one of Darnold's favorite targets. I mean, this is a player who I believe career high was something like 450-some-odd yards. You know, he's got 25 catches for 200 and almost 70 yards, I think. Uh, he's got the four touchdowns, which is a career high. I believe he only had seven touchdowns 
in the first six years of his career. He's a smart player. Uh, Adam Gase has said that time and time again. He seems to be in the right spot more often than not. Uh, and perhaps most importantly, he's a player who Sam Darnold trusts. So whether it's uh, you know in the flow of a play or whether it's because Darnold breaks contain and, and Griffin has a good feel for, for you know, using his scramble drill rules to, to get open, uh, whatever the reason is, Darnold has really latched on to him you know, over these past, uh, you know, at least three of the past four games. So, uh, you know, clearly a guy who is doing things that many of us thought that Chris Herndon would do, and, and I think Chris Herndon will do in the future when he's healthy next year. But, uh, 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 you know, a guy who, you know, hey, from a fantasy football perspective, you know, pick him up. <laughs> he's probably a guy who can help you out week to week. Uh, uh, and I did want to kind of circle back to what you said about Wesco. Uh, yeah, he hasn't touched the ball very often, uh, but you hit the nail on the head on, on terms of blocking. He has done a lot of good things, a lot of dirty work things, things that get unno- uh, don't get noticed uh, in the blocking game. He had a really nice block on a linebacker yesterday or Sunday that uh, helped uh, Bilal Powell kind of you know bounce 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 the play out to his left for a big gain. So uh, you know he's a guy who I think can you know do do some good things and contribute uh, uh, moving forward. Uh, maybe not necessarily someone whose name pops up in the stat sheet per se. But, uh, you know, he's a guy who's, you know, found a, a, a niche here. And, you know, I think Adam Gase has uh, done a, a good job in trying to integrate him into ways that makes the most sense for his skill set. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Wesco isn't popping up on the stat sheet just yet, but somebody who is is Jamal Adams. Another absolutely insane game for him. He now has six sacks on the season, five in the last two games. 
He has broken the record for most sacks in a season by a Jets defensive back. It was previously held by Kerry Rhodes, who had five. And he is well on pace to break the all-time record for sacks by a defensive back in a season. That is eight. That was done by Adrian Wilson of the Cardinals back in 2011. He could even, Manish, become the first defensive back in NFL history to have double-digit sacks in a season. It's not super likely because I don't think he's going to be having two and three sack games like that the rest of the way. But he's got six games left and he only needs four sacks. So it's certainly doable. Talk to me a little bit about the performance of Jamal Adams because you had a piece on him in the Daily News. You were taking a little bit of a victory lap because you were saying under no circumstances <laughs> should the Jets trade this guy. And Joe Douglas made a mistake even engaging in trade discussions for anything a couple of weeks ago. This was a hallmark performance by Jamal Adams, and he's certainly making his case to be paid among the top defensive players in the league. Yeah, you know, I think part of that is Greg Williams you know, deciding, hey, <laughs> this is something that this player does exceptionally well. And could we use him, uh, you know, in different areas of the field? Yes. But uh, can he flip a game, change a game, alter a game uh, if we blitz him more often? Absolutely. And I, I give Greg Williams a lot of credit for putting Adams in those positions. Obviously, I give Adams the most credit for actually delivering and executing uh, on those play calls. Uh, he's very good at the line of scrimmage. We knew that coming out of LSU. He's he's great in the box, but the notion that he has been asked to blitz as often as he has uh, off the edge, uh, you know, has just shown a uh, you know a little bit different dimension to what he can bring to a game. And uh, look, I don't have an issue with uh, Joe Douglas entertaining and or engaging in conversation to see what's potentially out there. Now, I would have a problem if he actually pulled the trigger uh, without getting you know, some kind of godfather offer. And I know, Scott, you and I have discussed this, and you disagree with me to a certain extent about that. But I just think that you know, he's a young, dominant player. Yes, he doesn't play a quote-unquote premium position safety, but I don't think he's just a safety. I think he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a playmaker. And I know that you know, players and coaches – sometimes oversimplify things and say, well, he's a playmaker. And, and we kind of lampoon them and say, well, what does that really mean? He's not a playmaker. He's a tackle or he's a guard or he's a cornerback. Uh, but when, when you talk about Jamal Adams, he really is a guy who can impact the game. And the Jets don't have very many players who can do that. And so if you're thinking about what's the best way to uh, become relevant again, to, to build a winner, I don't think it makes sense to part ways with one of the few, if uh, one of the few game breakers that you have, uh, especially a young, dynamic player like Adams, uh, regardless of what uh, you know position is next to his name in the in the program, I don't think that really matters. Now, do I think the Jets have deficiencies in other areas and could use help in other areas? Absolutely, but it, it it'll be incumbent upon Joe Douglas to be creative and to be smart in his free agent signings and the positions that he drafts in. in you know, in this offseason to build around players like Sam Darnold and Jamal Adams. You know, parting ways with Jamal Adams to potentially get, uh, you know, a young offensive lineman, uh, I, don't, I, I don't think that makes sense because you, you, you're, you're essentially giving away Jamal Adams for a lottery ticket. Uh, I don't have a problem with giving away players or trading away players for lottery tickets. I just I take issue when it's so obvious uh, if you watch these games, that 
there is somebody popping off the film time and time again, and that's not a player that you want to say goodbye to. So that's just my opinion. Uh, he technically could get a contract extension this offseason. Uh, the Jets have control for a few more years. However, if they wanted to, to get Jamal Adams uh, locked up for a few years, uh, I'd imagine that they're going to have to pay a premium you know, somewhere in the you know, $14, $15 million a year range. And then we can have a whole different discussion at a different time about whether that amount of money makes sense for you know how, how much money the Jets have available and what their cap space is, what their cash situation is. But uh, I just think, you know, for now, uh, I think we should all recognize that you know, this is a player that can help you become a winner moving forward. You think it's fair to say that over the last two weeks, Jamal Adams has reclaimed the presidency? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, here's the, the, the thing about the president nickname. Now, last year, or maybe even at some point during... Jamal's rookie year, I came up to him, uh, you know, we were joking around, and I said that, you know, it's really uh, taboo to create your own nickname. I'm not a guy who says, you know, you should create your own nickname. Nicknames are created by your teammates, your coaches, you know, fans even. They're the ones who create the nicknames. You should not create your nickname. So I was under the impression that he created the nickname. That was always... You know, my understanding, no one had told me that. I just hadn't heard any kind of story about the origin. Like, who who, who made it up? Was it an LSU coach, a teammate, LSU fans? I didn't know who it was. Now, he claims that he did not give himself that nickname. At least that's what he claimed to me, uh, you know, a year or so ago. So, to which I said, okay, fine, and that's acceptable. But if he himself came up with that nickname, uh, you know, for as much as I, uh, you know, I love Jamal as a player and, and as a person, uh, I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's a violation. I don't think that you should come up with your own nickname. But he's sticking to the story that he did not come up with a nickname and that he has been known as the president for as long as he can remember. I guess I'll take him at his word. From what I understand, Manish, the nickname was not created by Jamal. It was created by somebody named Mamal Wadhams. So for whatever that's worth, that's what I hear, that that's who <laughs> created the nickname. It was not Jamal himself. I want to talk a little bit more about the secondary, Manish. What is the mindset of the coaching staff, and particularly Greg Williams right now, in terms of the cornerbacks? Because Blessing Austin and Arthur Millette have played two really good games in a row. Darrell Roberts still injured. Nate Hairston still has some lingering injuries. We know Tremaine Johnson's gone. Do you think that even when Hairston's at full strength and even when Daryl Roberts is at full strength, they have any real chance to get back in there? Because the way Millette and Austin are playing, it seems like they've got that locked down at least temporarily. We'll see what happens now against a better Raiders team. They're going to be going up against Derek Carr and a better offense and just a better team overall. But those two have played very well the last two weeks. Again, granted, against the Giants and the Redskins, who are not good teams, but still promising for this Jets defense that has really had problems at the cornerback position this year. Yeah, I think Austin is, uh, you know, potentially a really good find. It's so early. You know, he's played two games, less than two full games. Uh, he does have that history with injury, so you hope that you know he can remain healthy. But uh, just from a skill set standpoint, <clears throat> yes, you're right. You know, he he wasn't going up against world beaters uh, at wide receiver and at quarterback, and I think it really kind of stems from the quarterback. Uh, they have played two rookie quarterbacks. Now, Daniel Jones, I thought, played really well two weeks ago, but he's still a rookie. Dwayne Haskins has a long way to go. You know, I don't know what his future in the, in the league is. I just know that he's clearly 
know, not ready yet, even though he showed a couple flashes uh, uh, the other day. But you do uh, have to give Austin credit. Uh, the guy hadn't played in seemingly forever. Uh, and then last week against the Giants, he did so much better than I could even imagine. Uh, I thought he did a really good job uh, against Washington as well. Uh, so to answer your question about Harrison and Roberts, I would I would think if, if Roberts were completely right that, that he would replace uh, Arthur Millette. Uh, but Austin, to me, I mean, he's here until he shows that he doesn't belong in that starting lineup. Uh, they will get a much better test with Derek Carr. Uh, you know, I have, I have my issues with Derek Carr. I, I don't think he's that good of a quarterback either. But uh, as I said about the Raiders, uh, you know, the quarterback that the Jets are going to face this week is clearly a step above what they've seen uh, over the past couple weeks. So it'll be a good test for the corners. It'll be a good test for Greg Williams. And Williams has done a nice job uh, doing what, uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, you know he should do against rookie quarterbacks, which is beat beat them. Even though Daniel Jones <laughs> he kind of sliced up that secondary, he didn't do enough to win. So uh, you know, Austin to me is a a really good potentially potentially really good story in the second half of the season. You know, we, you know we're talking about Sam Darnold's development and and his uh, ability to you know build confidence in the second half of the season. Austin to me is such a good story, uh, and this is a guy who you know, could have been out of football. Could have called it quits, you know, two ACLs, back-to-back years. You know, to come back from that and to play at this level and to show some of the things that he's shown uh, in these first couple games is encouraging. Uh, So, let's see more games. Again, it's only two games, but you'd much rather see what you've seen these past two weeks out of Blessing Austin as opposed to him getting torched. So, uh, I'm encouraged. And and for him uh, and for the team, I hope he can stay healthy. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Manish, I want to circle back to Derek Carr and the Raiders in a second, but first, anything else we missed? Uh, well, there's a Quincy Anuma, you know, issue from uh, late in the week. Mm-hmm. Him getting fined. Uh, I'm sure Scott, you have. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you have your your opinions on this. You know, my, my position is that I disagree wholeheartedly with any player. You know, uh, taking shots at at uh, management or coaches uh, on social media. You know, I, I disagreed with Jamal Adams doing that uh, and during the trade deadline. I, I think there are much better ways uh, to handle that, and they should be handled in-house. They should ha- be handled privately. I don't have an issue with anything Anuma or Jamal said on Twitter. Uh, you know, I, I, if they had said those exact same things privately to Adam Gase uh, and or Joe Douglas, I, you know, I have no issue with any of that. It's just the fact that you know, taking it to a public forum, I think, uh, is a mistake, uh, and that was the problem I had with Quincy Anumwa. The issue I have with the Jets, uh, with Adam Gase, is the idea of of uh, you know finding a player who's on injured reserve, who you know isn't going to be on your team in, in 2020. And yes, there are rules in place. So uh, when I say I have an issue with them finding the player, I guess what I'm trying to say 
uh, in a better way. A better way of saying it would be, I have an issue with them finding him the max. I, I think they could have fined him, you know, a nominal amount. They could have kept it private. Uh, uh, I also uh, don't absolve uh, Numo from not telling the team before missing his two treatments. I know that he went out to lunch with his wife, who's a veteran, on Veterans Day. Uh, I get all that. He could have sent a quick text. He could have sent a, a quick phone call to John Melody, the trainer, uh, anybody in, in the building. So uh, Quinty Numo was absolutely a thought at, at, at that point. So just hearing myself talk about it, I think I'm talking myself into a nominal fine would have made sense. I don't agree with the maximum fine. The biggest issue I have uh, from, from the team's handling of this is posting the fine uh, on a board in the facility for, for everyone in that building, you know, players and coaches, to see. I don't agree with that. I know that Adam Gase actually did that in Miami uh, by the end of his tenure. I don't know if he actually did that when he first got hired, but at some point during his time as the Dolphins head coach, he decided to do that. Uh, maybe it was from the beginning, but the information I had was that clearly by the end of his tenure he, he was doing that. I, I, I don't know... I don't think that's normal practice. You know, I, I've spoken to a few players. Uh, I think that Kelvin Beecham uh, went on record with reporters on Friday and said that he had not been on a team that had done that. And I know that I had spoken to other players privately, and uh, and they also had not been on teams that uh, had had done that. I just think that's, that's, that's a little odd. I think it's counterproductive because essentially what you're doing is you're embarrassing a player. You're putting his – you know, his money out there for everyone to see. And players always say, you know, don't mess with the money. You know, if you, you've got a problem with me, an issue with me, that's all well and good. You want to take some money out of my pocket, that's fine. But to advertise that you're doing that uh, to everyone else in the building, uh, I, I just think all that does is uh, you know, cause potential friction that alienates players. It clearly alienated uh, Quincy Numo. I know I talked to other players who thought, uh, and Quincy actually uh, said this on Twitter, but I, I reached out to players on my own, and they also thought that it was a Bush League move by the team. So uh, I guess there's fault to go uh, around on both sides of what happened here. It's unfortunate, but uh, I, I just don't understand from a team perspective why they're advertising how much money they're taking out of players' pockets. Manish, this may surprise you, but I agree with just about every word you said. I think it's a nuanced take, and I think it's 100% on target in terms of both sides were wrong in different ways here. I think that Gase didn't do himself any favors because, A, he did not need to find Quincy Anunua this much. A fine was certainly warranted because, as you said, Anunua should have and could have called ahead of time and let them know, and then this would have been water under the bridge. The other thing here is that Gase posting that made it public to the rest of the locker room who love Quincy Anunua and look up to him as one of the leaders in the locker room. You know this, Manish. He's one of the most popular guys on the team. So I'm sure a lot of guys saw that and said, what the bleep? What is going on here? Why is coach doing this to you? So whatever the intended effect was by Gase, I think it probably had the opposite. And as we know, Gase has had issues with the locker room, not just here so far with the Jets, but that was a big part of the problem for him in Miami. So for him to keep doing that, when I'm sure it did him no favors in Miami and it's not doing him any favors here now, to me shows that that's another area where he hasn't quite grown yet and he hasn't learned from his mistakes. 
I think that Anunwa deserved the nominal fine, like you said, and they shouldn't have posted it publicly. And on top of that, when asked about it at the press conference, Gase should not have responded the way that he did, talking about some guys go to social media and say this and that. I get that Quincy Anunwa shouldn't have done that, but Adam Gase should have taken the high road there. He should have simply said, I'll discuss that with Quincy in private, and I have no comment. Right. I, I agree with you completely. That was a passive, a gratuitous, passive-aggressive shot at at least two players, uh, well, three players, because Jamal went on social media, Kalechi Assembly went to social media, and then Quincy Anuma went to social media too. So it's it just, there's, there's some kind of disconnect in communication between Gase and players. And not every player, but there is some kind of disconnect clearly with injured players. It almost feel, it feels like uh, you're dead to Gase if you're hurt and you're not going to come back. Then he does not care about you. He doesn't care about your well-being. He, he, you know, you're you're really irrelevant to him. I think that's become pretty clear based on what we've seen this year with some injured guys. Uh, the communication uh, is it, it, just not right. There's something off with the communication. And just to circle back all the way to to what we discussed in the beginning, Scott, about Sam Donald, Sam Donald approaching Adam Gase. Why didn't Adam Gase? Go to his struggling young quarterback sooner to you know to, to iron things out, to go over the playbook, to streamline the playbook, to tailor his ideas to what this young quarterback is right now in his development. Why did Sam Darnold have to make the first move when things weren't going right? I, I don't, I just don't understand that. I've never been a head coach, so you know I haven't been in those shoes. But I've been around a, enough head coaches. I talk to enough head coaches in the league now to know that that's not a good way of handling yourself as a leader. Uh, there's so many examples in a short amount of time that make you scratch your head and say, well, is, is this guy ever going to evolve a, a, as a leader? I, I, don't, I don't know. I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, and, and I hate saying, and I said this to you many times as well, I hate saying that a player or a coach can't grow and evolve, regardless of how old they are or how much experience they have. Because I don't think that's fair because I think that everyone has it in them to grow, to change, to improve. Uh, but from, from Gase's perspective, from, Gase, from, you know, from the Gase perspective, uh, I just don't see much growth as a leader. And, and maybe that changes. I, I don't know. But this most recent example with uh, Quincy and uh, with Darnold approaching him, I mean, think about that. It's a 22-year-old coming to a 41-year-old. It should be the other way around. The 41-year-old should have enough sense, enough feel for his team and for his you know, struggling player to, to say, hey, look, we need to have a conversation. We need to sit down, and we need to change things. You can't sit there and wait for guys to come to you. I understand you know, he, coaches have an open-door policy, and, and you know, Gase even said this about Assembly when asked about uh, why he had not spoken to Assembly. I think his response was something along the lines of, well, he knows where to find me. I mean, who, who acts like that? What kind of leader talks like that? What kind of leader behaves like that? And, and players see that. They understand that. And there's 60-some-odd guys in that locker room. So not everyone is going to think that Adam Gase is a terrible leader. But there's enough people who matter in that locker room that see that this guy needs to change, and he needs to change quickly. And I, you know, I said this from uh, back, in the, back in the off season, and I've had discussions with people in the building about this, and I wholeheartedly believe this, is that the Jets will never succeed if Adam Gase doesn't grow up. 
and maybe that's just like a, uh, you know, a matter-of-fact way of saying it. And I'm not saying that the Jets can't succeed with Adam Gase, but I'm saying that the Jets will never succeed with the version of Adam Gase that we see now. If he evolves, he grows, he develops, and then actually learns from his mistakes as opposed to giving lip service from time to time, if he truly changes behind the scenes, then yes, I think, as I stated before, he's got good enough ideas and he's got a, a potentially great enough quarterback to, uh, to turn things around for this team. But if he handles his business and conducts his business behind closed doors the way that he has done to this point and the way he is right now, today, then the Jets will never succeed. And, and that's unfortunate because, again, I think there's a lot of good people in that building. Uh, I think there's a potentially you know, a, a great quarterback in that building. And uh, you know, if they're going to succeed with this, with this guy in charge, he needs to change and he needs to look himself in the mirror and admit uh, that there are some things that he's handling that uh, you know, aren't right. These are many of the things that the critics of Adam Gase, when the hiring was made, were very concerned about. You were not one of those critics, Manish. I have to keep pointing that out because everybody gets upset and says, you have to remind Manish that he was all in on the Adam Gase hire. You remember that you were all in on the Adam Gase hire, right? I'm fully aware of that. And I feel like uh, I have to discuss that every day for the remainder of Adam Gase's days. Uh, now, look, I, I know that people on Twitter don't listen to every radio interview, TV interview, podcast that I do. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I understand them bringing it up. I completely understand. I think I've taken ownership and, and admitted that, <laughs> that yeah. I, I went overboard and erred in my judgment. I've said that multiple times, many times, not multiple, like beyond multiple, what beyond multiple? Like, I don't know, a hundred times over the last you know, few months. And, uh, and I've written it uh, as recently as a week ago. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't have the time to respond to everybody on Twitter who keeps asking me that, uh, you know, I support asking me why I am critical of Adam Gase now when I wasn't critical of him 11 months ago. Uh, I will say this, uh, whether it's discussing Adam Gase or my opinion on, on anything, uh, opinions can change when you get more information and what, as more time evolves. Now, if I had said Adam Gase was a great hire five days ago and today said, no, that doesn't make any sense. You know, I deserve all the criticism that you throw at me. But over the course of basically a year now, I have learned a lot of information. And I've said this to you, Scott, many times. I've learned a lot of information on how Adam Gase conducts his business behind, scenes, behind the scenes, which I was not privy to uh, during the two-week, uh, week-and-a-half period where I was doing research during the head coaching search. Uh, you know, you, you try to get as much information as you can in a compressed amount of time to get, uh, you know, a, a picture of, of each head coaching candidate. It's obviously not going to be nearly as thorough uh, as, you know, having an opportunity to spend 11 months around a guy and, and getting stories about a guy, good and bad. Uh, so, yes, opinions change and evolve. I think it's frankly foolish to remain steadfast on an opinion if you don't believe it, a, you know, a year later or six months later. If you have information to the contrary and you're still sticking to that belief, then you're a fool because that's not that's being dishonest. What's being forthright is saying, hey, look, this was my opinion at this point in time many months ago, nearly a year ago. I've seen enough, heard enough, gotten enough evidence to suggest that you know that opinion isn't entirely correct. Now, there's still elements to what I said that I still believe, and I said this to you earlier today. Uh, I think Adam Gase has good ideas. That, to me, has not changed. He does have good ideas. What I did not think was going to happen was that 
he wasn't going to grow as a leader to this point, and he wasn't going to adapt. Uh, you know, up until recently, he wasn't going to adapt uh, to his young quarterback skill set at this stage in his development. And he, as I said a moment ago, he has operated as if he's got a 15-year quarterback who's headed to the Hall of Fame behind center, and he's calling and he was calling plays and designing a plan uh, as if he had Peyton Manning playing this year and he did not and I did not think that he would do that I thought that he would adapt and adjust and it looks like he's starting to adapt and adjust uh, thanks to his quarterback saying hey we got to adapt and adjust but uh, just opinions in general they evolve over time just as I've criticized Adam Gates for not evolving you have to evolve and if you get evidence and you get information to suggest that your opinion from 9, 10, 11 months ago is not accurate, then you have to tell people that it's not accurate. Because if you if you blindly stick to what you said just because you said it, that to me is is silly. I mean that that that's wrong. Uh, I, I'll give you an example. I said the Chargers were going to be the AFC representative in the Super Bowl uh, <laughs> this preseason. That's clearly not happening. And if I stuck to that and said no, they're going to go on a run. They're going to finish what ten and six or ten, nine and seven, whatever the record is now, then I would. That, that just wouldn't be honest. I think, you know, a, a few weeks ago I realized that Chargers pick, that's not going to happen. That was a bad pick. I, you know, I mean, look, they, they were besieged by injuries, but as I said before, and if I'm going to say that injuries are an excuse for coaches and players, uh, you know, I, I can't use injuries as an excuse for a bad prediction. The bottom line is it was a bad prediction. And, you know, we discussed Philip Rivers and, Scott, you know, we, like you said, you, you and I can talk about Philip Rivers' you know, Hall of Fame candidacy at a different time. But he is really disappointed this year, and I think that's a big reason why the Chargers haven't played particularly well. Uh, I guess this is just uh, you know, uh, uh, my way of saying that opinions can change when you get more information, and I, am, uh, you know, I, I will fully admit if something I said uh, in terms of prediction goes awry uh, because uh, of information that I acquired over the span of many months. And, and that's where I am with Adam Gase. And I'm not saying that the Jets cannot become a winner with Adam Gase. I don't know that. It doesn't look good right now. But what I will say definitively is that if he does not change how he operates, and, and you know, you and I have discussed this on previous podcasts, uh, there are enough things that are very troubling behind the scenes uh, in terms of how he comports himself and how he conducts his business. Uh, if those things do not change, the Jets will not be a winner with him. Speaking of changing opinions, Manish, I have a feeling that your opinion on how this game on Sunday between the Jets and the Raiders was going to go probably would have looked a little bit different before the season. You might have thought the Raiders were going to be a cream puff team. You might have thought the Jets were going to be better than they were. You also know that the Jets are going to be at home. So this might be one that you thought was a pretty winnable game for the Jets, which is why it might be fun to go to the game at MetLife Stadium on Sunday when the Jets take on the Raiders. Always a good time when you buy tickets for a game and you think that the team has a real chance to win and if you're going to go to the game you want to get yourself some great tickets and the best place to do that is at the vivid seats mobile app you can get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase when you use the promo code overtime you can use that code to buy yourself tickets for the jets and the raiders game this sunday or any other event that's coming to town the radio city christmas spectacular is coming to town there's wrestling shows concerts other sporting events hockey and basketball and so much more you can get tickets for yourself or you can go ahead and buy tickets as christmas presents don't worry won't tell anybody that you're getting their presents at a bit of a discount 
Get a great deal on great seats right now when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app and use the promo code Overtime. You get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. So, Manish, what do you think? How is this going to play out on Sunday? Yeah, I think it's a winnable game. I'm, I'm taking them to win. Uh, I, I, th I think they're going to win. And, and as I said uh, earlier, yeah, they, they're 6-4. and four. They've won three in a row. Uh, they, you know, they beat the Lions, Chargers, and Bengals. Uh, the Chargers are, you know, uh, the record notwithstanding, they're not, they're not a pushover. The Lions, uh, you know, the Lions, I, I, I guess the Lions are, you know, were okay with, with Matthew Stafford. Uh, they beat the Bengals this past week. They squeaked by uh, arguably the worst team in the NFL. Uh, again, I think the Bengals and Redskins are probably tied for the worst team in the in the NFL, regardless of the record. Uh, you know, I don't I don't think I don't think the Redskins are better than the Bengals, <laughs> even though they have a win. Uh, I think they're going to win the game. You know, it's it's you know, traditionally historically difficult for West Coast teams to you know make that cross country trip that that's a factor not the biggest factor by any stretch but uh i think that the fact that the, this run defense is lights out i mean this this run defense is the real deal uh they're, they're number one in the league for a reason uh they're allowing oppo uh, op opponents to average i think and even three yards a carry so as good as josh jacobs has been for the jets uh he you know I, i've seen the jets up close and personal shut down saquon barkley shut down everybody for the most part other than zeke uh, on the ground, so I don't think that the Raiders are going to be able to you know, establish any kind of running game. And then you're talking about Derek Carr, who I, you know, I, I, I don't think is a very good quarterback. I think he's average. That's probably the best way to put it. He's an average quarterback whose best weapon is probably their tight end, Darren Waller. Uh, you know, they've got you know a, a few receivers who are okay. You know, nobody spectacular. So I, I, I think that this is a, a game that. You know, I'm going to have to disagree with Vegas on. I know that the, the Jets are, I believe, uh, early in the week they're three-point home dogs. Uh, you know, they were three-point, they were unbelievably three-point underdogs against, or they were underdogs against the Redskins as well. So, you know, I'm going to disagree with the line here. I think, uh, I think the Jets are going to, I think they're going to win the game. I think that what this is going to prove is that uh, they are clearly not in that Redskins, Bengals, even Giants category. Uh, yeah, I, I think they're a bottom, you know, bottom five to seven team, something like that. You know, I don't know what what that means to Jet fans if that gives them hope. Uh, you know, saying that hey, we're not the worst of the worst. Uh, I do think they're a bottom third of the league team, and that's why I think that when the draft rolls around, they're gonna, you know, probably have a top seven pick. You know, something like that, top seven, or you know, if history is any indication, they'll pick six because it seems like they always pick six. So uh, I think that's kind of where they're at. So. When you look at, you know, potential three-game winning streak here, you've got – if they win three, I'll tell you right now, they're definitely winning four because they are not losing to the Bengals. Nobody, I think, is losing to the Bengals. So you could potentially have a four-game winning streak uh, when the Dolphins come into town in week 14. So that would put the Jets at, what, five and five and seven against the Dolphins, and I don't think the Dolphins are any good. I think I made that abundantly clear after the Jets lost to the Dolphins. So, you know, I know players and coaches never want to look too far ahead, but, hey, I'm not a player and I'm not a coach, and I'm looking ahead, and I'm saying that it is realistic. Uh, I'm not saying it's probable, but I'm saying it's realistic for the Jets to really get on a run here. Uh, as, I, as I thought after the Jacksonville loss, now I was wrong about the Dolphin game, but I thought that this schedule opened up so much 
that they could go on a on a on a big time roll in terms of wins, not in terms of beating any any like legitimate teams here. But I, I think that there's a real chance that they could win dare I say, five in a row entering that Thursday nighter against Baltimore. Now, I think they'll get trounced against the, the Ravens if Lamar Jackson is healthy. But uh, but before that, I think there's a there's a chance, there's a real chance that this team could be 5-7, and seven, potentially even 6-7. and seven. You heard it from Manish. The Jets are going to win all the rest of their games and make the playoffs. That's what I heard. <laughs> I say that. That's what I heard you say, Manish. I'm just kidding. I do think that there is a good chance that they can win a bunch of these games because they're playing a schedule that's very soft down the stretch. And this is why before the season started, we said that if they could at least tread water in the early part of the schedule, they might be able to make a run late in the season. They obviously weren't able to tread water in the early part of the schedule. So even if they make a run now, I don't think that they're going to be able to go anywhere. But I think we can both agree that it would be a very nice sign for the Jets going into next year if they could close out strong, and particularly if Sam Darnold can continue to play well. Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News, thanks so much for coming on. As always, really appreciate it. You've been crushing it in the Daily News this week. Articles every day. What do you got coming out next? Well, I want to take a look at Le'Veon Bell. You know, people are beginning to discuss what's what's wrong with him, if anything's wrong with him. Uh, You know, as we talked about earlier, Bilal Powell did a really nice job, and I'm not advocating for Bilal Powell to take over the, the, the RB1 role here, but I think you do really have to ask yourself, what is going on with Le'Veon Bell? Uh, he's banged up, uh, but I don't know how banged up he is. Uh, I, I think it's you know unfortunate for him. Now, he's a positive guy. He's a glass-half-full guy, uh, so I'm sure he's not thinking about this. Uh, at least publicly, he won't admit it. But uh, when you look at Le'Veon Bell's career – I thought even with the year off, if he had two strong seasons with the Jets and maybe a potentially good season after that uh, with the Jets or another team, uh, I thought he was on a Hall of Fame track. You know, I, I don't know if he would have gotten into Canton, but I thought he was on a Hall of Fame track if he could really duplicate the, you know, what he had done up until this point uh, this year and next year with the Jets. And clearly, you know, statistically, he's taken a massive step backwards and and uh, I, you know, he doesn't want to hear it. I'm sure, but I think that coming to the Jets might uh, have been, you know, finances aside, I think that coming to the Jets might have been a big mistake for him, and I think it, it potentially could cost him an opportunity to go to Canton. We will see what happens once Joe Douglas presumably upgrades the offensive line next season. If Le'Veon Bell returns to form, then we might have reason to revisit this discussion, Manish. I think right now it's obviously been a very difficult season for Le'Veon Bell, but I want to see what he can do behind a competent offensive line. Go ahead and follow Manish on Twitter. Read his work in the Daily News, including the upcoming piece that he's going to be working on on Le'Veon Bell. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.